Let's get our Bibles and open them up to Mark chapter 3. Today we're going to look at just a few verses. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to verse 15. This past year has really um, forced me and all of us to be able to look at our, our discipleship, to look at what it means to be a church in ways that we haven't been forced to look at uh, before. Um, my family had moved into a new area, and we were prayerfully asking the Lord to be able to have opportunities to build relationships with our neighbors so that we could share the hope and the joy and the mercy that we have in Jesus with them. And we were just on the cusp of getting those relationships and inviting people into our homes. Then all of a sudden we're told, I can't invite people into my homes anymore. And uh, the mission of Christ has been, in some ways, um, Shaken. Not that it's different, but it's forced us to be able to do things differently. Our uh, relationships and community as a church has been forced to do things differently. And with all that we've experienced in the past year, our leadership has thought it'd be valuable for us to be able to do a series on God's word and looking at the fundamentals on what we're committed to and what our distinctives are as a church within a network of churches. So over the next number of weeks in this series, Church Together, we are going to be examining the attributes of a Great Commission church um, that we hold distinctive Uh, in our church here. And today, we're going to be looking at the attribute of purposeful discipleship. We want to understand today, what does it mean to be a disciple? And the answer is pretty simple, but I think it needs a little more explanation. The answer is right on the screen right here. Discipleship means following Jesus. Discipleship is following Jesus. But as simple as that is to understand... A lot of the things that churches can do and the way we observe um, the culture of church online today can kind of muddy the waters and make things confusing. Uh, Recently, the magazine Vanity Fair had an article about a celebrity pastor, and it was an unfortunate one because it was about how this internationally known man had a significant moral failure, and uh, it's a sorrowful story. But it reveals a lot about the priorities about what's become popularized in North American churches through celebrity culture of idolization of these pastors and leaders. Now, the church itself explained that the way they approached church, the way they approached church was because they believed people aren't looking for stale religion. And that's true. But at the same time, the journalists who looked at this church and looked at the uh, environment that enabled this pastor to have the failing that he did, looked at this church and the way they did what they did, and their conclusion was this. The church offers a version of the gospel that can cohere with the rest of your urban professional life. Discipleship is following Jesus, but is this what it means to follow Jesus? To adopt something that works for you and your priorities for the way you want to live your life. Today in Mark 3, verse 13 to 15, I'd like to explain the priorities that Jesus had for his first disciples. And I believe this succinct and clear explanation of what it means to follow Jesus 
will give us um, a roadmap and show us how we can be involved in the same type of discipleship today that our teacher Jesus was with his first 12 disciples 20 centuries ago. So today from Mark 3, chapter 13 to 15, we're going to learn three things. We're going to learn the basis of discipleship. We're going to learn the purpose of discipleship. And we're going to learn how these two things inform our commitments to discipleship. The basis and the purpose that inform our commitments. So let's read these few verses together. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. This is God's word. And when he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. One of the reasons I like the Gospel of Mark um, personally as my favorite within the Gospels to read is because it's succinct, it's clear, and it's to the point. And we get a succinct, clear, to the point explanation of discipleship here. First, we see the basis of discipleship in verse 13. There are two bases for discipleship, for how we enter into a life of following Jesus. Again, it says, and he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called those whom he desired, and they came to him. The first basis of discipleship is life-altering grace. So the compelling force that draws people into a life of following Jesus is less on the decision of the person and more on the call of the teacher. It's like the difference between responding to an RSVP to a party and responding to a summons to a courthouse. You RSVP to a party because you can. You obey a summons because you must. See, in his day, Jesus was thought of as a deliverer who would rescue a nation from tyranny. He claimed to be the very son of God who would triumph over all of humanity's failures. And he would become a prominent figure quickly amassing massive fame. But as one who attained massive fame, he didn't associate with those who were famous, the elites or the influencers who were the top of the class of their society. He didn't choose them. He didn't desire them. Jesus desired and chose the overlooked and the outcasts. These are the words that it was used to describe the twelve. He called those whom he desired. Who were the people that Jesus desired? Not the elites, not the influencers. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, a few people are highlighted at first, before chapter 3. We have two sets of brothers, four fishermen. Overlooked people, like fishermen, were those who Jesus desired and chose. Fishermen's jobs... um, constrained them at the lower end of social status. And these are the people that Jesus wanted around him. There's also a a, a tax collector identified in chapter 2 named Levi. And tax collectors were outcasts. Now, economically, they are near the top of the social status. They were rich, but they were hated. Rich people 
but despise people for their greed as tax collectors and for the association with the tyranny of the Roman Empire who was oppression, oppressing the people of God. These were the people that Jesus chose, the overlooked and the outcast. Now today, in our day, some of us may not be in the same economic or social position as a tax collector or a uh, fisherman, but all of us are in that type of spiritual position before God. In different ways, every one of us, those who are watching at home, those who are here with me, every one of us has fallen short of God's design for humanity, and we are all before God barren spiritually and soiled spiritually. But the basis of life altering of discipleship is the life altering grace that these are the people that the Son of God reaches out to desires and chooses. And it's only the people who are willing to admit their barrenness and their soiled souls who can realize the beauty of the grace of such an amazing Savior reaching out to such pitiful people like me. When grace is understood, it compels those who receive it, like the apostles, to dramatically and radically alter their lives. Like the apostles, they count all else as lost compared to Jesus. Like the apostles, they are ready to suffer the loss of anything that would prevent them from knowing and enjoying Jesus. Because they take seriously the call of Jesus to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and embrace a version of the gospel that coheres with the rest of your urban professional life. No. To deny yourself, pick up your cross, and abandon all else that would prevent you from having the fullness of Jesus. That's what grace does. Have you received his life-altering grace? When you do, you also see the second basis of discipleship, hope. Hope for new and for better. Now, I need to explain some context here that might be missed by Western eyes that would be very understood by ancient Jews to show you how hope is a basis for discipleship in this text. Verse 14, look at it there with me. It says, He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. Now look at verse 16 again. You see the number 12, but there's a word in front of it. It says, He appointed the 12. The 12 doesn't just mean that um, 11 wasn't enough, and they needed one more. It's not just the amount of the roster of those who Jesus wanted to accompany him. It's a signal of what, who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do for these people, for the Jewish people. 12, for the Jews, reflect the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel from the line of Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, and his 12 sons that God promised would grow into and be a prominent nation that would have peace forever, and that would be a light to the rest of the world of who God is and the way God wants us to live. That was this identity of being the people of God, the nation of God, was central to what it meant to be an Israelite. But at this time in history, Jews knew their nation was not where it was supposed to be. 12 tribes had dwindled down to two and a half. And the glory days of the United Twelve Tribes under King David and under King Solomon were gone. Gone through years of civil war. Gone through years of foreign invasion and exile. 
gone through years of occupation where foreign tyrants tried to assimilate and destroy their entire culture. They knew things were not right, but they knew what God had promised. Prophets like Isaiah spoke of a time where a deliverer would come. The people of Israel would be gathered together into the land of promise. The glory of a reunited nation would surpass any glory that Solomon or David could have ever had. And the very people that tore them down would come to Jerusalem and worship the God whom they blasphemed. This was what they were looking forward to. A society that would be established on righteousness and justice, worshiping the one true living God, being a light to the world as God designed. And they were far from that. But... By pointing 12, Jesus is signaling that he is that promised deliverer. That he would restore his chosen people. And that they would be that people who God promised they would be. The call to the discipleship is a call for the hope of something new and something better through Jesus. But it's not just for one nation In Christ, it's for all people and all nations. And it is for society, but it's not just for society. It's also for souls. It's also for you. We're we're pretty aware that things are not right right now, eh? Things are not the way that we're supposed to be. This pandemic has exposed what the rest of the world uh, in developing countries knows all the time. Humanity is vulnerable and fragile and no matter how successful a capitalistic economy is we need hope for something more and something better God has promised that he has made all things new so the problem with our world and the reason things are not right isn't just when we have failing economies isn't just when we have failing health it's because we have a failing spiritual sickness that the scripture calls sin Sin is the reason that we see societies being upended by discrimination and anger. Sin is the reason that the world is going the direction that it's going. Sin is the reason that we don't have the unity and that we don't have the joy that we all desire, that we don't have the significance, that we don't have the dignity that God created us to long for. When we enter into discipleship, we enter into the promise that God will make us new and God will make all things new. Hope is the basis for our discipleship and the gospel is the basis for our hope. The good news of the message and life of Jesus Christ. So because of all the sickness that sin has caused through humanity, God became a man. Jesus became like us and suffered what we deserved on the cross so that we could be like him and enjoy the life that he earned. And when we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that his sacrifice on the cross was enough for our forgiveness, we will be restored into relationship with God and we can see God have the hope that God will change us and the promise of the hope that God will change and renew all things. If we turn and believe today, trusting that Christ's sacrifice is enough, we can have that hope. This is the basis for following Jesus. Life-altering grace, the hope for new and better, and this basis then enables the purposes. We see two purposes in following Jesus from verse 14 and verse 15. 
what now does God desire in you and through you as a disciple of Jesus? Let's look at verse 14. It says, And he appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Two purposes in the discipleship from this text. The first one is this, to enjoy knowing Jesus. Jesus is a person whom we can personally relate to. And when we do, he cares for us personally. And our souls are satisfied when we know him for who he is and what he does for us and how we can walk with him. But we need to ask an inevitable question. How? Because when Jesus called Peter, one of the most well-known disciples, it was very clear how he would be with Jesus. Peter was in the boat. Jesus was on the beach. In order to physically be with him, Peter needed to get out of the boat and be on the beach and physically follow him. Peter, in this process of following Jesus, would hear the tone and the timbre of Jesus' voice when Jesus told Peter, you will deny me three times. Peter would feel the grit of Jesus' carpenter's hands when Jesus got on his knees and washed Peter's feet and said, you must go do and likewise. Peter knew how to be with Jesus because he was with the embodied Son of God. How can we? We can still be with Jesus now and enjoy knowing Jesus now because those who have faith in Jesus are indwelt with the Spirit of Jesus. So we may not be able to hear the tone and timbre of his voice and see his lips move. But by the Spirit, we can clearly and distinctly hear the voice of Jesus saying, This is the way, walk in it. We may not be able to see the color of Jesus' irises like Peter did, but by the Spirit, we can see the light of the glory of his face and rejoice in it. Being with Jesus today means that by faith we learn to cooperate with the spirit of Jesus. The best way to understand this, if you want to learn more, is go read John 14 to 16 today. That's your homework if you want to know how to be able to learn to live with the spirit. Cooperating with the spirit happens when we abide in the word of God and we join in the name of Jesus in prayer. Cooperating with the Spirit happens when we join with others and have open hearts to worship and fellowship as the body of Christ. Jesus invites us to be with him. And when we are with Christ, we'll see what's beautiful and what's glorious, what's kind and what's gentle in the person who knows how many hairs are on your head. And Jesus wants us to be with him so that we can become like him and represent him to others. That's the second purpose of discipleship. 
to enjoy knowing Jesus and to reach out to others with good news. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. It says, And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, I want us to turn a few pages to the right to see this clarified a little bit more. Two things Jesus appointed the people for here that are clarified into three things when Jesus actually sends them out in Mark chapter 6. So in my Bible, I'm just turning over two pages. Wherever you are, turn with me in the scriptures to Mark chapter 6, verse 12. And we'll see that the two responsibilities in chapter 3, when Jesus actually sends them out, are expanded into three. Verse 12 of chapter 6 says, So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. Jesus wants his disciples to be with him so that he can send them out to represent him, and there are three tasks here that the apostles are sent out to do. He gives them his authority And in his authority, the disciples are to reach out to others with good news by proclaiming a message of repentance, by delivering people under the control of unclean spirits, and by healing those afflicted with sickness. Three tasks. And while these three tasks accomplish individual responsibilities, they all have one common purpose— These three tasks accomplish the one common purpose to miraculously and powerfully prove through the supreme authority of Jesus that the promised kingdom of God has arrived. That's why God is sending out, that's why Jesus is sending out his disciples to reach others with good news proving that the promised kingdom of God has arrived. Why does that matter? Because it's through the kingdom that our hope of all things being made new will be accomplished. Under Christ's authority, his kingdom has been inaugurated when he came, and it will be consummated and completed and expand over all of the earth when he returns. We are citizens of that kingdom in Christ, and we are representatives of that kingdom in Christ. Every day. Are you representing Jesus like this in your everyday life? Every follower has been entrusted with this same authority to represent Jesus and reach out to others with good news. And these three tasks the apostles give reflect three responsibilities that every disciple has as we represent his kingdom and reach out to others. These three tasks we have are to, we are sent to speak with conviction We are sent to stand with courage, and we are sent to serve with compassion. Think about the relationships in your life. Do you represent Jesus in this way with them? Or is it easy for you to compartmentalize your religion to a day of the week and a time of the week that coheres with the rest of the way that you want to live your life? The life-altering grace of Jesus 
and the hope for new and better. It enables us to be with a gracious and kind and loving Savior, and what he wants to do with you is send you out into the world. Reaching out to others means having the conviction to speak so that others can hear the way of Jesus and repent. So Christians in our culture are often caricatured. You probably know that character. We're often considered inflexible, closed-minded, intolerant, beholding to some bygone era of capital T truth when the rest of the world is fine embracing their own truth. I think I'm learning to be okay to be labeled like that. But regardless of how we might be caricaturized, our job is to not only share what we believe, but to live what we believe. And that might be one of the reasons that we're caricaturized so much. It's the life-altering grace of Jesus that compels and draws people into discipleship. Our job is not to be the compelling force. Our job is to present grace and allow grace to draw those whom Christ desires and chooses. Reaching out to others means having the conviction to speak. Do you have that? Reaching out to others with good news also means having the courage to stand firm. Christ sent out his apostles to cast out unclean spirits. Christianity recognizes that there are real and malicious spiritual entities at work in our world now that are seeking to influence and control individuals and societies. So much so that the Apostle Paul says that we are in an unseen and hidden everyday war and we need to be prepared for battle. Unclean spirits and demons intend to obstruct the people God has made in his image from knowing and receiving the life-altering grace and hope of Jesus. They're invasive, they're influential, and our job is when we see this obstructing, controlling, darkening evil to stand against it in our own lives and when we see it. To shine light into darkness. We are sent to speak with conviction, to stand with courage, and reaching out to others with good news also means reaching out to others by serving them with compassion. See, Jesus gave his apostles his authority to anoint the sick with oil so that they might be healed. Serving the sick and the marginalized in Jesus' time is about the miraculous healing of the body. And the command to anoint with oil and pray for the sick is a command that the book of James gives to elders and church to do today. And we have seen instances in our church that through these means, miraculous healing has happened. But healing of the body is not just about healing with the body. When Jesus healed people, it was more than just about their physical well-being. See, sickness in Jesus' day, like leprosy, means that you had to be socially ostracized. means that your life was always lived in quarantine, and people always avoided you all the time. 
Sickness didn't take your health. It also took your dignity. Compassionately serving marginalized people is healing for the soul. Caring for the sick is healing for the soul. Because the stigmas that might be associated with things that might be shameful in our society that make them feel like they're on the outside. Or the sickness that we have that reserves us to an ICU or bed and burn at home makes us feel like we have no dignity and we are filled with shame. And when Christians go and serve these people, we can do good for the body, but it is also dignifying for the soul. This is what Jesus prioritized and this is what we should too. So let's say that we've embraced this, all right? We get the basis. We get the idea of life-altering grace. We were bought into the hope that we have in Christ. We're committed to be with Jesus. We're committed to reach out to others with courage and conviction and compassion. How will we then be committed to following Jesus? What will a commitment to the basis and the purpose look like? I want to identify four Four commitments of discipleship. The first one, odd priorities. Your priorities as a follower of Jesus should look odd to your classmates at school. They should look odd when you talk about what you're going to do on the weekend with your coworkers. As Jesus said that if you cannot count your family or your job or your own life as loss, then you are not worthy of the kingdom. Discipleship is odd because it ca- his life-altering grace calls us into a life of holiness, a life that's unique, a life that's different, a life that reflects the life of Jesus rather than the life of the mainstream culture of our world. What defines our dignity is different. What defines our significance is different. What defines our joy is different. So your priorities will look odd. Your priorities for what entertains you will look different to your friends at high school. Your priorities for a romantic relationship might seem weird when you connect with someone on that dating site. Your priorities for your children's education will seem strange to other parents at your kid's school. The way you spend and save your money may seem obscure to your coworkers. The life-altering grace of Jesus calls us into holiness. Are you willing to be a misfit? If you're not, you're going to feel uncomfortable in Christianity. The commitment of discipleship is a commitment to odd priorities and frustratingly slow change. So we have the hope for something new and better. But right now, we're living in the not there yet. We are new, all things will be made new, but right now we're still being renewed. God has the power to change you to be the person he made you to be, but my goodness, I don't know if you feel this way, but I just frequently wonder, why can't that process speed up? Why can't my attitude change faster? Why can't my habits change faster? Why can't my kids change faster? And it's easy to lose heart. Because, but it's normal, brothers and sisters, because we're living in the not 
there yet. Don't lose heart. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's what we're waiting for. That's the hope for the ultimate new and better. The eternal glory without comparison. But right now, we're in the momentary affliction. And it is light compared to what's coming, but we're still there now. So it's frustrating. But be patient with yourself as God is patient with you. Odd priorities, slow change. Here's the third commitment. A commitment to fellowship that I'll call practicing solitude and practicing friendships. This is how we're going to be with Jesus. When we take the time to be alone with the Spirit, and when we take the time to be together with others in the fellowship of the Spirit. Deliberate and intentional commitment to solitude and friendships, and here's the key, with an open heart. Because a lot of Christians are committed to these habits and disciplines, solitude with Bible reading and prayer, fellowship in small groups, but they do it out of the sake of duty and not out of the sake of delight. They do it with a closed heart. They practice these disciplines just to prove God how good they are at practicing these disciplines. And now they got something to boast in about themselves rather than the grace of God. An open heart, though, comes to God in solitude, not to show God how good I am at being in solitude, but with all my sorrows and all my weaknesses, knowing that by grace I can be honest before God because by grace I'm accepted by Christ without reservation. And an open heart values friendships and is committed to them for mutual benefit so that together we can have fellowship with God and together we can change as God designed. Here's the fourth commitment, a merciful lifestyle. Discipleship cannot be compartmentalized. And that's often what happens when you embrace a version of the gospel that coheres with the rest of your urban, professional, suburban life. It means adopting a lifestyle of mercy every day because we are everyday ambassadors speaking with conviction. We are everyday warriors standing up with courage. We are everyday healers serving those filled with shame with compassion. So you might be a student on another Google Classroom video, but you're still a disciple of Jesus. You might be a young monk stuck at home with kids again, but you're still a disciple of Jesus. You might be scrolling through Twitter and your blood pressure is just rising, but you're still a disciple of Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Mercy is a lifestyle. It's the message we share. It's the method with how we live. We reach out to others without prejudging and we lift them up in compassion. It may be years since you've come into this room, sitting at home, throughout all of this time. Wherever we are, and whatever decisions that we are making for our physical health, our staff is generally wondering if we've become comfortable making decisions that neglect our spiritual health. And this is why we're doing this series, Church Together. 
so that for the genuine reasons that you can be in person or you're watching online, that we can be together committing ourselves to what Christ wants us to be. And it starts with being a healthy disciple. Welcomed into following Jesus on the basis of his life-altering grace and the hope of new and better. And having the courage and looking for creative ways in a unique time to be sent out from Jesus, enjoying who he is and reaching out to the world with good news. Brothers and sisters, this is the calling that we have. Let's be committed to it. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, I want to be a learner and a student of Jesus, but I know there's much in me that prevents me from being the person you want me to be. But I thank you for your grace, and I thank you for the hope that we have. These are unique times, Lord God. We despair quickly. Um, We become complacent easily. Lord God, we thank you that we have your spirit ever present with us. God, I thank you that we have uh, your love for us wherever we would go. Lord, I thank you that you've made us your ambassadors, that you've called us to be warriors, and that we can do good healing for the soul when we serve others with compassion. Help us to be the disciples you've made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.